and welcome to episode 115 of the Dinner Sisters podcast. We are two sisters taking on the nightly challenge of dinner. I'm Betsy Wallace. I live, work, and raise a family in Atlanta, Georgia. And this week I have a different sister with me. It is not Kate. It is our younger sister, Mary. Hi, everyone. I'm Mary. I live and work in Eugene, Oregon. And you are here today to tell us about food banks and food banking. And we had talked previously about having you on and we're so excited to cover this topic as a special episode of the Dinner Sisters podcast. Why don't you start with telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, what you currently do and kind of the what got you to this place in life? I'm happy to be here. Right now, I live in Eugene, Oregon. I live with my husband, Sam, and a cute puppy named Scout. I moved to Oregon to complete my master's in community and regional planning at the University of Oregon, and my focus is on food systems planning and um, community food systems. Currently, I am working at our regional food bank for Lane County, Oregon, and my position is the Youth Nutrition Programs Manager. Within that, I work on the USDA Summer Food Program, so the summer um, meals for kids when school is out, and then also on youth um, food insecurity and things like school food bait, snack packs, and backpack programs and different ways to address food insecurity within the youth population. Great. Yeah, you have so much experience and knowledge in this. And I think before we dive in, we should mention too that you've had this like sort of long career and personal life working in food. Yeah. So um, my focus is really, I guess, what people call food systems. So within that is like the economic systems and the agricultural systems and the community systems that make up um, kind of how we interact with food. And they're all really connected. So I have dabbled in a lot of different parts of the system. I've um, been really into growing food. So within like sustainable agriculture and organic agriculture, and then also with the connections with schools and youth is something that really excites me. So there's lots of like school garden initiatives and different things like that. And then um, I also have experience within food sovereignty, which is um, kind of pushing food justice a little bit more within economic development. So um, creating resilient communities. And um, within my work, I was working on Native American food sovereignty um, in the United States. So all of that has led me right now to be working on food insecurity within uh, the food banking kind of world, which is a whole new world for me. And I'm excited um, to kind of move into this part of the food system. So. I think we all kind of generally have an idea of what a food bank is in our community because it's just something that is part of every community. You know, just to put a fine point on it, like what is food banking? What is a food bank? Break it down in sort of a easy to understand way. Yeah, it's a great question because everybody knows that we have food banks and you feel like you know what they do. But sometimes I feel like the biggest misperception is getting a food bank and a food pantry mixed up. So we'll start with food banks. So food banks have been around since like the 1970s-ish is when food banking started in the United States. So 
basically food banks collect and distribute food. So we have a lot of warehouses. So you bring in a bunch of food into a warehouse and it comes from different um, supply streams. So we get USDA food, which is what we call government commodities. So that comes from our farm and agriculture sector and the government buys it and then um, puts it back into the food system through the food bank for um, low income and needy individuals. And then we have food waste and excess that might come from a grocery store or a restaurant or someplace that might produce or serve food, um, especially highly perishable items that would mostly go to waste. So we have programs like Fresh Rescue Express and Fresh Alliance that allow us to get food from some of those more perishable areas. That's a little bit different than government commodity food can sometimes get a bad rap, like powdered milk and, you know, blocks Mm. of orange cheese and things like that. It's really progressed past that point. But our grocery stores and restaurants really allow us to have what we call flashy food or fun food. It's the food that kind of like gets a little variety in your diet. Um, so food banks take all those different types of food and we collect them in a warehouse and then we distribute them to the community through community service organizations, which can look like a lot of different um, people in a lot of different organizations. Some are churches, some are social service organizations, some are schools. Um, and then within our network that I work in, we have a lot of different types of what we call partner agencies. So some might be a meal site serving up hot, fresh meals for people. And some might be more of like a food closet, like a supplementary. Um, if you go in and get your food stamps in your WIC and they're not going to come in for a couple weeks, then we can give you some food right away. Um, and then some are like a drive-through produce type of thing where you can just um, drive through and get apples and citrus and potatoes. And then we have one of the most commonly known, and I would say that one of the biggest impact programs that we run are our public food pantries. So food pantries are important to communities in a lot of different ways. It's going to be probably the lowest barrier access point to food, and it's one of the most recognizable models. So the types of food pantries that I work with are Um, shopping style. So you can go through and kind of shop and get the different items that you need. Um, Food pantries, the ones that we work with, there's different styles of food pantries, but um, are supported by the USDA. So they do have a income eligibility level, and that's really all you need to be able to access a food pantry. So food banking brings all the food together in warehouses, and then we distribute it through the community and lots of different partnerships and through like a big network of community service organizations. Those community service organizations then feed hungry people. Okay. You are right. I do not think I knew the distinction and that is helpful. It's funny because we talk a lot about your job, but sometimes it is like, <laughs> it is, you need to start at like 101 when this is not what you do in your everyday, everyday life, which is great. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two questions we had from listeners were one, how do you support a food bank? If that is what you, or I guess in this case, is it better to support a food bank or a food pantry? Or is that like, what is the distinction there? Or what's the best way to go about supporting food security, maybe in your community? 
um, is the first thing. And then the second part of this question is like, if you personally need feel like you might need to use a food bank or a food pantry, or maybe it's your first time you've been in a situation where you're feeling food insecure, how do you access the system or what's the most appropriate way to go about that or just kind of walk us through what that looks like? Yeah, so I start with um, the first question, what is the best way to support a food bank? I think there's lots of different ways to support your local food bank and then um, also supporting pantries. They look, might look a little bit different. Obviously, giving money, if you can, is always very helpful. Um, we can purchase a lot more food with money than you would be able to yourself at a grocery store because we can buy in bulk and we can buy from different wholesalers. So your dollar at the grocery store, we can use that to probably buy two or three times the amount of food. I'm not discouraging people from donating to can and food drives. That's actually one of where we get, we talk about our variety of food. That's um, if you go into a pantry and you see all different types of cans on the shelves, that gives people a really good sense of security that there is food that they can choose from. Um, and it gives you kind of, you feel like you're in a grocery store a little bit more. So that it just gives like what we call a little bit more dignity within like the pantry experience. So food drives are a really good place for us to get all those different varieties of food and the cans and the different kinds of fun things. So um, donating money is awesome because it funds programs and services and education. And donating food, obviously, through a food drive, if you see one of those. And then also your time is something that you can donate that's really, really valuable. Um, food banks and food pantries usually run off of a huge amount of volunteers. So um, you can donate your time at a food bank, and that would probably look like sorting food and working in a warehouse or um, if they have other types of programs and services like educational or nutritional education, you could fit in there. And food pantries actually usually need a lot of help. Um, they're usually run by retirees, a little bit more of the older generation. And right now, actually, as most of those people are staying home because they're at the, in the high-risk categories, if you are able to reach out to a local food pantry and ask if they need volunteers or if they need somebody kind of, as we say, on the front lines, that actually might be really helpful um, to have if you are in a low-risk category and you feel like you can do that. Offering your time might allow a, a food pantry to be able to increase their hours or just stay open in general. So are you still taking volunteers if people are thinking I have some extra time right now or maybe you know, this is a time where I feel like I could, then you're just wearing a mask and being careful or how does that work? We are using volunteers really strategically. Um, so we're using them when we need them. And usually we are, you know, letting people know the risk um, that it would be volunteering. We have things that are really direct service where you're interacting with the community and actually, you know, providing food to people such as like our mobile pantry that we do. And we have other things that are like data entry. So you're just entering volunteer hours into a database and you're sitting at a desk in an office um, and you're not really as high risk. So every food bank, every food pantry does it differently. But within ours, we have a really great volunteer coordinator who kind of screens people and asks, you know, what's your skill set? What are you interested in? And tries to fit them in the right area. Our volunteer, just our use of volunteers has gone down drastically. We're really, we are kind of more close to the public than we have been in the past. And when we do invite volunteers in, everybody is social distancing. We have marks on the floor um, where everybody stands. If you're doing any kind of sorting or packing, 
actually all employees, no matter if you're a volunteer or not, we all have to wear masks at work unless we're on the phone or eating. Um, so it's definitely a different world than it was, but we're using volunteers pretty strategically, but still really relying on them to fill in the gaps for the, the labor that we need to keep going. Okay. So if you are in a situation where you might want to take advantage of a food bank in your community because you're feeling food insecure, you mentioned so many different programs. How, what are the different entry points to, to, to kind of the food banking system that set like an individual might use? I can speak to what I know, which is in Oregon and ours are pretty well developed. It's not that way all across the the United States. Um, There's a lot of different types of support for food banks and some are very much connected to the faith community. Some are not so much. We have a really mixed bag here. So the entry points are a little bit more accessible. And like in our county, we have 33 public pantries and that's a pretty large amount. Some counties might only have one. So it really varies kind of on where you are geographically on how easy or hard it is for you to get to a pantry. And that is just kind of the reality of things. So internet is always your really good source if you're looking to find out where your local food pantry is. But I just wanted to kind of address, you had talked about how do you know when it's time to go to a food pantry to get help with food? You know, there's just so much stigma about asking for help or feeling like you can't get the food that you want or um, that you have to hold out a little bit longer before you ask for help with food. And stigma is really something that can be really harmful um, to people's quality of life. It can be hard to get over, but um, we like to create programs and services that have dignity in so you feel a little bit less stigmatized when you go. You know it's time to go to a food bank if what we call trade-offs Sometimes we call them poverty trade-offs, but they're trade-offs I would say that a lot of people are making these days as people are losing employment, um, losing hours, just having kind of a whole life rearrange. So if you start doing trade-offs such as, should I pay for my rent or food? Should I pay my insurance or should I let my insurance roll up or should I go to the grocery store? Um, If you're finding that you're not able to meet your basic needs, and are sacrificing food to meet other basic needs, then that's a pretty good indicator that um, you should probably reach out for some food assistance. Some indicators that you might need a little bit of help with food would be um, cutting down on meal sizes to make food last a little longer, Um, having just a general worry about whether you're going to have enough food for the week or the month, or you're going to Um, have enough money to buy the food that you want to buy or that fits within your um, diet, culture, or lifestyle. We would, I mean, personally, I would love to see somebody come to a food pantry and walk out with a whole bunch of food and keep that hundred bucks in their savings account rather than spending the last hundred bucks at the grocery store and not having that little cushion. So there's a lot of food help out there. And if you're finding that you're using the last little bit of your money to go to the grocery store, it's really stressing you out. And you're finding you're making trade-offs for other quality of life and basic needs, then um, most likely you're feeling food insecurity and food insecurity isn't a label that lasts forever. You can be food insecure one month and the next month you're not. It's not a something you have to carry around and you know feel bad about it. You can reach out whenever you feel food insecure, and that doesn't have to be a constant thing. 
Very helpful. Okay. So we do have a question from a community member. This is from Carla. And she said, my community is amazing, offering so many different locations for food distribution. However, they almost always exclusively load and go into people's car trunks. I know a lot of folks who need it the most don't have access to a vehicle. So I was wondering if that's something you all address uh, and, and how is that handled? That is a very great and perceptive question, Carla. Transportation is pretty much the number one barrier to food access. So that's a really, you know, I'm sure if people think about it, obviously it makes really sense logically. And also when we go to a food bank, like I had mentioned, we want to give you a bunch of food, right? Because that feels good. But if you don't have a way to get that food back to where you are and where you can cook it, you're adding like another burden on people or people are choosing to just not come because they have no way to access that food. We've actually been addressing that in an interesting way during um, this COVID-19 kind of public health crisis. Um, It's been really awesome to see a lot of community members have reached out to us. Um, Betsy, you were talking about people who feel like they have a little bit of extra time and want to help. So we had a lot of people calling us and saying, I really want to pick up food for people and deliver it to them. And that sounds so simple, right? But we, when you talk about systems and the food systems, our systems, especially the USDA system, which can be quite rigid, wasn't really flexible with that. We had to have the person in in front of you and they had to sign and they had to verify and give consent. So that was just a barrier and we kept looking at it and we're like, okay, we have these people that are hungry and we have these people that want to bring them food. How can we kind of address this barrier in the middle, which is this um, kind of this intake process and kind of the, the procedures you have to follow. Those procedures are there for a really good reason. We want to make sure that the food goes to hungry people, right? And then it doesn't go other places. So there's an intent of it. We have developed a distribution in two ways. We've, we're doing a mobile distribution. Food banks actually don't distribute food a lot. So this is like a new thing for us. Like I mentioned, we kind of depend on other people to do it for us. So we have um, started distributing food from our warehouse dock on every Monday. I have started and organized using just a handy Google form, a little sign up for community members who want to pick up boxes for other people. And you can do bulk boxes also because lots of people who wanted to pick up and deliver food wanted to do it for more than one household. So we have kind of connected people who need food with these lovely volunteers who want to deliver food and then made ourselves into the access point to get those boxes. So another handy thing is we convinced the state to give us a waiver on the signature. So we've kind of worked with the systems, just found a few loopholes and got the okay with it. So now we are doing about 100 boxes every Monday, which is kind of a drop in the bucket, but it still is addressing a really um, critical need for people. And we have people picking up anywhere from five to 10 boxes at a time and delivering to people's doors. And we have lots of different partnerships. One of the really cool partnerships that I have been working on is with a school district, and there's a high barrier um, within migrant populations and immigrant populations just related to transportation, as you had mentioned, and also just fear of accessing public services. 
So um, within that partnership, we were able to deliver almost 250 boxes of culturally appropriate food to people's doors. Getting creative with delivery is really one of the best ways to address that transportation barrier. So if you are a person and you know people who can maybe use food, but transportation is a barrier, you could reach out to your pantry and see if they um, will allow you to pick up for somebody else. Pantries also might do delivery themselves. Um, I just read, I just saw this really cool model in Houston. They're doing these, you know, like Amazon lockers where you can like, you know, like your Amazon stuff is delivered and you get a little notification it's there and you just, you know, put in your code, your key. The food bank in Houston is doing that with food boxes. So they have these like Amazon lockers in different low-income neighborhoods and they're really accessible and the food bank fills them up. And you order online, and then you go to your locker, and you get your food. And you can walk right over it to it. So um, people are being creative with that. Yeah, transportation is a huge barrier. And it's something I feel like food banks and food pantries are always trying to address in, in creative ways and trying to meet people where they are to try to get them food access. Thanks for the great question, Carla, and great answer, Mary, because that brought up some really important issues. And it kind of leads into my next question here which is what are the kind of innovative, interesting, exciting things that you see happening in food banking just generally? We always think it's kind of fun to look forward and what are the trends and what does the future of of this look like and what gets you excited? Well, I think it's interesting when you're talking about food systems, when you talk about like food trends. So food banking has lots of like ups and downs and it's very um, affected by what is happening within the rest of the food system. So it's affected by what people are buying at the store. It's affected by um, health trends. Like when people started getting really healthy, all the junk food started coming to pantries because they weren't buying it at the store anymore. Actually, as everybody made a run on the stores, right, as this COVID started, we found it was really hard for us to get food because we kind of the supply chain got super out of whack. So the newest trend, which we call the food environment in food banking, is fresh produce. And I'm very excited about that because it's been where food banking has been going for a long time. And so we are moving a little bit away from more of the prepackaged foods and some of the more processed foods into lots of fresh produce and fruits and vegetables. And that is kind of forecasted to continue within food banking. Um, it's the convergence of a lot of factors. Well, food waste has become a really big sustainability issue. So food banks love food waste, right? Because that's how we get our food. And we're the last stop before it goes into you know, the landfill. So the more food waste there is, then the more we can give to our people. So as grocery stores and suppliers start looking at their supply runs and trying to be really efficient and reducing waste and trying to be very eco-friendly, it's ending up drying up our sources of food, which is just a really interesting kind of cause and effect. That being said, some of that food is just no longer there for us because it's not being produced in a wasteful way. So we are really pivoting to... Lots of exciting things like plant a row with farmers. So farmers will be planting intentionally for food banks. We're really focusing on lots of those 
farm table types of things. So something I'm very excited about that is coming down the line in food banking is called the Farmers to Family Food Box. So it's a new thing that has just came out these last few weeks. So the USDA is partnering with farms, ranchers, producers, food processors, distributors, and to connect them to nonprofit organizations, specifically food banks, to um, give everybody access to fresh food during the COVID-19 national emergency. So it's really connecting those farmers with folks in the community. Lots of us have seen the kind of depressing pictures of rows of, you know, crops being tilled under and just not having the systems and I'd say lots of the transportation logistics to bring it to where people can access it and eat it. So one of the really cool things is they've kind of figured out this whole trucking and transportation system where local farmers and food producers can sign up and the USDA federal government will buy the food from them and then have a program that will bring it right to nonprofits and food banks, um, kind of prepackaged boxes. So you'll have your produce box, which will be mixed produce from farmers and producers, and a dairy box, which will have like sour cream and butter and eggs and milk and all these wonderful products. And then some meat boxes that will have like cooked chicken and meat products. And all of those will come from farmers and food producers who have kind of lost some of their their clients with all of the restaurants being shut down. So it's a really cool way to kind of divert some of that food so it doesn't go to waste and it can go right to hungry people. So we're excited about that. And that kind of comes hand in hand with having um, a lot more focus on that fresh, healthy produce. That's kind of where food banking is going in general. So it's a really good fit. Yeah, that's great. Because I think I have had people ask me this a lot and I don't have any special insight into food systems. And the question I hear all the time is, why can't people figure this out? Is this still happening? Is there still all this food waste and this mismatch of the food and getting it to all these hungry people? Because I think that is something that comes up in the news and people feel a lot of just like general anxiety about because it feels weird to know that there's a bunch of wasted food and then also a bunch of hungry people. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's a really interesting, cool program. And you're talking about being innovative, kind of meeting the need as it is. And it's a really good example of that. And then I guess it just ties back to your question about when, you know, should you access a a food pantry or ask for food help? I think one of the biggest things that people think about is, well, maybe I'm not poor enough, or maybe I'm not in need. There's people who need it more than I do. And kind of having this, what we call poverty Olympics who is the most needy, right? And that's not fair for anybody. And it doesn't help anybody. And it's just good to know that there is a lot, a lot of food in the food system, we produce way, way more food than we have hungry people. So you going to a food bank, or you accessing food assistance, or getting food for somebody else, or connecting people with food assistance, is not taking away from anybody else getting food. And more likely, the more people we have accessing food, the more we can demonstrate the need is there. And if we don't know the need is there, it's really hard for us to ask for more food and to show that there are people who need food in our community. So the more you reach out and uh, make yourself and your community members visible and say, hey, this is a need that we're facing, the more that we can divert some of that massive amount of food that's produced in the United States and produced in our communities to people who need it. 
yeah, just kind of underlining that there's 100% enough for everybody. And if you need food, it's there for you and you should reach out and access it. Hey, what about all of those when this first all happened, there were these pictures in the major newspapers of these like parking lots full of like 10,000 cars. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, that happened to us too. We started our mobile pantry and we ended up causing a traffic jam that went all the way out to the freeway. I think it just goes to show that there's a really high need and that food is something that we always, you know, it's something that is thrown a lot around a lot in like social services. Like everybody's one paycheck away from this or that, you know, it's just one paycheck and you might need, you know, assistance with housing or rent. And I think for a lot of people that one paycheck became pretty real. And a lot of people lost jobs really suddenly. And food is something that can go really fast in your household, especially when all of a sudden all of your kids are out of school and they're eating everything in your house. One of the first things that was felt the most acutely was food insecurity. And that can cause a lot of stress. It can cause a lot of kind of just quality of life disruptions if you feel like you are just rapidly becoming more food insecure. So I think what we saw was a lot of people reaching out for food. And that's what that was. And I don't think there was any kind of, you know, thing about it, except for just people waiting in line to get food, which is a bit heartbreaking, but it just also shows how great the need is for food assistance and how kind of rapidly we people can become food insecure. Yeah, that makes sense. I it kind of fits with all the pieces that we've been talking about. It was such a striking, one of the first really striking images, I think, that we saw come out of the COVID-19 crisis when it felt like everything was real and everything was changing. And I felt like that was such a visual for all of us a month or two ago. It is. You do have to, you know, if you're going to wait in your car for a couple hours for food, it definitely shows kind of the for me, and I think I had talked to you about it, how it was kind of surreal for me to be experiencing both sides. And, you know, myself and people I know were stocking up on food and having a great time going grocery shopping and you're buying all your fancy stuff and you're getting into cooking and baking and just this kind of, I guess, both populations, you know, low income people and higher income people were really focused on food. But for different experiences, right? We had like the lower lower income people were focused on they didn't have enough and it was running out and the grocery stores were going dry before they even got their paycheck. Um, And then we had people who were like, I'm buying, you know, three weeks of really fancy food and I'm going to buy four types of Mm -hmm. nut butter and then like 16 types of flour just for fun because that sounds really fun to me. So you just have these like very kind of divergent need for more food. And it's like a really similar type of feeling, but just coming from very different places. Yeah, yeah. No, that does make a lot of sense. And I think that is probably a good place to ramp up because it does sort of tie this whole conversation together and puts it into the context of our whole podcast, which has been sort of the other side. And um, Kate's need to buy multiple nut butters and hey I bought like just you know 10 different types of beans I have so many beans right now I know that's I mean we are feeling the same way it's just it's a funny impulse to feel like you don't have enough food and you are right 
that it is universal and it just kind of it's very very human yeah right it's like our our like it's a huge basic need right yeah yeah well mary thanks for coming on we'll have to have you on again of course sister yeah uh and maybe next time we'll get you to co-host guest host you can like cook a couple recipes with us and review them Okay, I made an actual um, lasagna last night. Yeah, I'm, you know, in our two years of doing this, I don't think we've ever made a lasagna. We'll have to talk to Kate about that. It was very good. I got tired of, Kate will love this, I got tired of measuring the ricotta, so I just started scooping it with my hand. Mm, yes, as people say, you are more of a Betsy than a Kate. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what's for dinner this week. See you next time on The Dinner Sisters. We'll save a spot at the table for you. Mm-hmm.